0: When I think of the mass way back when, in terms of how it looks, you know, what I think of is a pageant, a religious pageant. Um, and the way I, I mean, I know what it looks like because I saw the movie The Godfather and I saw The Exorcist. You know, I saw movies like that where, where there were scenes inside of Catholic churches, you know, this very elaborate, very ornate uh, kind, of, kind, kind of look. When it came to the mass and what it was, The best I can say that is way, way back when is that I viewed the mass and I viewed everything that was done in the mass is like a bunch of ritualistic accretions like barnacles on the hull of a ship that had been added over time to what in the New Testament is a very, very simple form of worship. (laughs)
1: Well, hello and welcome to another thrilling episode of On the Journey with Matt and Ken and Kenny. I'm Matt Swaim, along with my colleagues Kenny Burchard and Ken Hensley, and if you don't know what we're about, please check us out at the Coming Home Network website, chnetwork.org. We're an organization that's dedicated to helping people who are uh, at various stages of exploration of the Catholic faith, some very interested, some just curious. Uh, You can have discussions with people like yourself who are in that world by going to our online community, which is community.chnetwork.org. And as always, if you want to support what we do and make sure we're able to continue to uh, provide as many resources as possible for little to no cost uh, to anyone who asks, then support us by going to chnetwork.org slash donate. Well, gentlemen, <laughs> today we get to start. Yeah, you p-
0: did that so well. You oh. did that so well. Perfection. You rattled that off like a cardi barker. I got it.
1: I've got a hundred or Perfection. so reps under my belt at this point. Um but it's so
0: moving. It's so moving. Could you do it again right now? It's just it's like moving. the
1: credits of a movie. They're just the most powerful part. Everybody pays the most <clears> attention <throat> they do move. for that part. Um so today we get to start a series on the mess, and I'm gonna turn this over to Kenny Burchard to explain what we're gonna be doing because mm-hmm. I want to make sure that People understand what this is going to be and what it's not going to be as we explain mm-hmm. our experience of Christian worship before, and now that we're Catholics, the Mass. Kenny, if you could let us know what we're doing here. Yeah,
2: yeah. Well, what we're doing is, and for those who may be new to this program, this is you know we're on a journey, and we're 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 talking about our journey from a previous way of looking things for us, for all of us uh, on the the um, screen right now, from a Protestant evangelical perspective that has transitioned, and now we're all Catholics. And we unpack together how we thought before about something and how we think about it now, and we really wanted to jump into the theme of worship, generally speaking. How did we understand worship as Protestant evangelicals? And w- how now do we understand worship as Catholics? And of course, there's no way to discuss that uh, without diving deep into this experience that all Catholics have, uh, this source and summit experience of worship that we experience in the Mass. And so today we're just gonna look at worship as we understood it before and how that changed. And over the weeks that follow. We're going to take a walk through the Mass together and, and, and learn what exactly is happening in this incredible worship experience that we have as Catholic Christians.
1: And again, for those of us who have bounced around various Protestant places, what we're looking for on a Sunday morning is very different than what a, the Catholic Church is, is trying to do when it gathers for worship. So uh, that's really kind of the basic question at the root of this episode is what's the difference? So uh, I'll ask you all, Mm -hmm. uh, what was your experience of the Mass, if any, before you started taking seriously the claims of the Catholic Church? Ken, how about you?
0: I feel like I may have said something like this in the past a few times. This question is really, uh, as we go from subject to subject in in the various series that we're doing for the On the Journey show, Um, I I realize that on some subjects, it becomes really hard for me to remember. Um, The truth is, I've been a Catholic intellectually now for about 27 years. And so, whereas I may have a very clear sense of what I thought about, uh, you know, justification by faith alone or something like that, I don't when it comes to the Mass. In fact, I'm thinking back, and for the life of me, I do not have a memory of ever attending a Catholic Mass. Um, before I finally went, when I was beginning to study the Catholic faith, um, I must have gone to a wedding or something like that, but I have no memory of it, N- not at all. So when I think of the Mass way back when, in terms of how it looks, you know what I think of it is a pageant, a religious pageant, um, and the way I—I I mean, I know what it looks like because I saw the movie *The Godfather*. And I saw The Exorcist, you know, I saw movies like that where, where there were scenes inside of Catholic churches, you know, this very elaborate, very ornate uh, kind of kind, kind of look. When it came to the mass and what it was, the best I can say that is way, way back when is that I viewed the mass and I viewed everything that was done in the mass is like a bunch of ritualistic accretions, like barnacles on the hull of a ship that had been added over time to what in the new testament is a very very simple form of worship. In fact, uh, Acts 2:42 probably sums it up where we read about the early Christians and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And when I read that, I thought this is just like the very simple service that we have in our Baptist church.
1: Well, We'll, we'll get into what Acts 2.42 is really saying there at some point. But in the meantime, yes, uh, we will. Kenneth of the House <laughs> of Burchard, what was your experience there?
2: Uh, how do I follow Ken the Elder? Um, well, I would
0: say— I'll tell you how to follow. <laughs> the Bible says, fall down before the hoary head. <laughs> so <laughs> that's how you do it.
2: <laughs> I'll, I'll do I that. Have a hor- hor- I have hor- hoary
0: head. If this ain't a hoary <laughs> head, then they one doesn't exist.
2: Mine does I'm, I'm working on it. But I, you know, I think I'm like you, Ken, in the sense that I had very little experience with the mass before I became Catholic. I did mm-hmm. have some, maybe more than you, but not too much. My earliest memory of the mass is going to my cousin Lori's wedding when I think I was 15 or 16 years old. And she was a Catholic. She married a Catholic man, is still a faithful Catholic even to this day, and I didn't really understand it. We I didn't grow up in a religious home. And so when I started talking to people about the Mass, it happened to be ex-Catholics that I was pastoring who would say, oh gosh, it's so much better going to church here, Ken- uh, Pastor Kenny, at our church than it was at that old dead Catholic church I grew up going to. And so I I sort of learned the bias against the Mass from... Uh, getting it from Mm. the people I was pastoring. So if I went Mm. to Mass, which is maybe 10 times in the whole time that I was a non-Catholic, I would go Mm. kind of trying to confirm the bias that was given to me. So if if they said, well, it's just a dead ritual, well, I'd walk in going, well, I'm here at this dead ritual now. I wonder what kind of dead ritual we're going to go through. And as I would look at the Mass, comparing it to what we were doing, I just saw it as an ancient and therefore irrelevant form of worship. This my evangelical mind kind of thought. Well, what's contemporaneous to me mm-hmm. is more valuable than these ancient, outdated things. Uh, I, like Ken, I looked at it as as religious pageantry. That's a really good word. Mm. Now, because, as I would later discover, uh, my own understanding of worship was so historically disconnected from ancient. Hebraic uh, understandings of worship, which, by the way, deeply inform early Christian worship. Since I just mm-hmm. wasn't rooted in history, I didn't see the validity mm-hmm. of the Catholic Mass. I didn't. I didn't really think it was something um, to, you know, to be looked at or or, or considered. I just mm-hmm. looked at it as kind of uh, a mixed bag of hocus pocus, you know, surrounded by Christian imagery but really just a litany of 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 mystical incantations gesticulations hmm. devoid of any real connection with god and um that's that's really guys how i felt about it until i began investigating it later um as i began considering becoming catholic
1: Yeah, so for me uh i had less than zero experience of the mass at all uh growing up i grew up in you know an evangelical conservative world and uh mostly in rural areas in ohio and kentucky and indiana and there was no there's no experience of it uh the only impressions i have of, of it that i could like connect visually for with for example were you know the marriage scene in the princess bride right with the <laughs> bishop who i i guess i assumed he was catholic he was probably anglican now that i think about it probably uh you know staring off into the distance kind of disconnected from everything just reciting a script uh right just say man and wife um so that kind of like dead ritualistic thing but also some impressions from you know pieces of literature like this particular contemporary classic <laughs> by Jack Chick the death cookie i'm not going <laughs> to go through the indignity of reading any of the stuff in here literature. other than to say <laughs> that you know it's a lot of just churchmen with you know leering eyes and pomp and circumstance saying just a bunch of foreign language here to mystify the people. But, um, Mm -hmm. I mean, there were some, you know, subtle anti-Catholic things that you'd hear in Protestant circles that I ran in, which is like, you know, God wants your heart. He doesn't want you to just go through the motions. And by go through the motions, I think that some of us meant like we, we, we understood that to mean like, you know, like the Catholics used to do back in the middle ages. Right. Uh, because frankly, when it came to that idea of dead ritual, as far as I was concerned, the mass in Catholicism died in the Middle Ages. It wasn't, like, real at all. It was a thing that existed in pockets in places like New York City and Boston. But that's Yankees and Red Sox country, and we don't even pay attention to them for real because they're not really like the rest of baseball. So their Christianity is not like the rest of Christianity either. So it's just this completely disconnected concept, but with no real experience of, of the mass. Never went to my, I went to my first mass when I was probably 23 years old. And it was after I was already heading in that direction. And I had, well, trust me, it was just, it was not what I expected. Let's just say that. Mm. So we'll start then yeah. uh, by going through and talking about what changed our hearts on this question. So let's start with you, Kenny. <laughs>
2: yeah. I, and those, those who've heard my story before will know that a major change happened for me in 2018 Uh, the day before my 49th birthday, so this would be June 3rd, 2018, I was driving by a Catholic church in my neighborhood that I'd never paid attention to before, and the Holy Spirit said, go to church there. Well, I wasn't a Catholic. I wasn't strongly considering becoming Catholic. Mm -hmm. I'd been to Masses before. I was generally not wowed by it because I didn't understand it. And I went to Mass And over the weeks that followed, I began to dive deeply into what this event was. And as I connected more uh, with the post-apostolic church through some of the things we're going to read in these episodes, I discovered that my own worship experience as a Protestant evangelical Christian was actually the historical outlier what i mean by that is that mm. most christians in the world today and most christians over the entire arc of church history would understand worship and going to church exactly like or in some way very similar to what's experienced at the mass and i so i discovered that man mm. my worship experience as a protestant evangelical if you want if you want to say it this way kenny yours was the strange one by comparison with history and so i went to mass mm-hmm. you know on that june day in 2018 and i asked god to help me understand what was going on because even though some things looked the same i knew that this mm-hmm. was very different for me one of the most helpful tools uh, in my process, was reading a book by Scott Hahn entitled The Lamb's Supper, in which he walks through the Mass, uh, the Mass in one hand, the Book of Revelation in the other, and journeys forward through the event with those two things talking to each other. And that really helped me. We can unpack it all here, but that's when my heart started to change, and I realized there's something going on here I'd never seen before.
1: How about you, Kenny? Ken. Rather. I'm getting my Kens um, mixed up. Ken Ken Hensley. Hensley, what'd you think?
0: Kenneth, Kenneth. This theme of early church history is just going to come up again and again. (laughs) Excuse me. My openness to Catholicism in general, as I've, I've told a million times, began when I learned that an old friend who I respected very much had become Catholic. That's how it started. Someone became Catholic who I knew to be smart, someone I respected. And this forced me really, for the first time in my life, to at least open my mind to listen carefully to the case that could be made for the Catholic Church. Um, Because before this, you guys, I had never read a book written by a good Catholic biblical theologian or apologist or theologian or historian. The only books I'd ever read about Catholicism were books written by those who believed the Catholic Church to be the whore of Babylon. You know, you're, you're I never read Jack Tr- Ch- Chick, but, but I had a book called The Two Babylons by someone named Hislop. I had read uh, Lorraine Bettner's famous book, Catholicism. The, uh, I read the Puritans a lot. And so the only books I'd ever read on Catholicism were books against Catholicism. And so while I said a moment ago that I, I don't remember what I thought about the mass, um, you know, in in general, I knew though that it was just nuts, that the mass was crazy, that it was a distortion of what's in the Bible and all that. So when it came to the mass, okay, what began to open me to the Catholic view? When it came to the Mass, um, as with a num number of other Catholic teachings, it began by reading the early church. When I was challenged to read the early church fathers, and I began to read deeply in the post-apostolic writings of the well, beginning really in the late 1st century, but the 2nd century and the 3rd century and the 4th century, and I was forced to face this simple reality, the way the church worshipped in the 2nd century, the 3rd century, the 4th century, the 5th century, the 6th century, and I mean East and West, the Oriental churches, all of Christendom really, the way they worshipped did not look like the way that we worshiped in my Baptist church. It looked a whole lot more like a Catholic mass. Now, I'm sure we're going to go into detail on all this, so I'll just drop it right there, you know, um, in the episodes ahead. But that's the thing. And so I really resonate, Kenny, with what you said about uh, the early church. This is a common theme. I suppose it was with you too, Matt.
1: Yeah, it 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 was. And, you know, rather than cover the ground that you two just covered, I'll, I'll just mention what sort of softened mm-hmm. my heart to be open to even explore that question in the first place. And I think a lot of it had to do Mm -hmm. with working in Christian bookstores and going to Bible college and playing in bands and hearing things like, you know, being told we weren't a Christian enough band because we weren't playing worship music as part of our concerts and thinking, well, I don't know that that's what worship is and is worship a John Wesley hymn or is it, you know... Sonic Flood and Delirio 5 question mark and hill songs, right? Like, what is worship? Like, what even is it? Like, what are we trying to do here? Mm-hmm. Um What is the purpose of going to church on Sunday? Is it to hear a talk? Is it to learn something that I didn't learn? Is it, did I not worship if I didn't feel anything? There are a lot of these questions that were swirling in my evangelical world that I didn't feel like there were good answers mm-hmm. for anywhere I looked. So I can just say I, I ended up looking the same place as you all looked. But that's what was driving the question for me. Any comments beyond that before we move on? No. All right. Good deal. All right. So we got a Pentecostal in the room. We got a Baptist in the room. I was a Wesleyan. We'll start with Kenny. As a Pentecostal, and this kind of goes back to the question I was just, you know, referring to is what did you believe mm-hmm. worship was? And based on that, how did you set up a Sunday morning?
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. I would say that our worship gatherings we just thought of getting together as the people of god to sing and study scripture as worship so so if you look for a definition of of worship in an implicit mm-hmm. theological practical way what did what we were doing imply about what we believed regarding worship these people believe that singing and studying the bible is what worship is and so for me when i became a pastor i just i i reproduced what what i learned i repeated and reproduced what was handed on to me by the pastors that were pastors when i was just a member of a congregation i just thought well i'm the new guy here i i, I this is apparently how you do church i'll just do it this way and so, you know, four, four songs, announcements, maybe sometimes special music, maybe commun- We would have communion Sunday once a month because we didn't want it to fall into a dead ritual. Like all the Catholics who were now part of our congregation, maybe baptism every three months. And then most of the time, uh, the central and focal point of our gatherings, even as Pentecostals, were preaching and teaching. Long, protracted sermons, either topical Mm -hmm. or, in my case, when I was the senior pastor, verse-by-verse teachings through whole books of the Bible, where I would take 45 minutes to an hour to preach and teach. You could say, they devoted themselves to songs and sermons, or they devoted themselves to singing and preaching. Now, lots of stuff fits down underneath those two ideas of worship in Mm -hmm. our context. but And I think that that's pretty much what evangelical Protestant worship looks like a- across the board, especially in the more mm-hmm. contemporary slash non-liturgical churches.
0: You've kind of asked two questions here, Matt, when you, when you asked, you know, what what did we conceive of as worship, and then what, what did our worship service look like? And I guess worship was offering praise to God. Uh, so the worship service offering praise to God mainly through singing and through prayer— and then through hearing God's word and having it explained to us. And so, you know, I would have said, when it comes to the elements of our worship service in the Baptist church that I pastored, uh, you know, I would have said that the basic elements there, you know, singing, prayer, reading the Bible, preaching, celebrating the Lord's Supper once a month was our typical time. I, I would have said these are all biblical elements that can be found in the New Testament. But it's nevertheless true what you said, Kenny, that in uh, you know, front that i learned it from it w- it was the way it was done and so when i moved in and became exactly. a pastor i picked up i picked up and just caught it yeah in fact from the time i began attending church period the basic pattern was always very similar an opening hymn an opening prayer a few more songs a long sermon an invitation a closing hymn the lord's supper once a month or so baptisms when they were called for I watched Billy Graham Crusades and I saw the ba- basically the same pattern. You could switch it up, you know, in one way yeah. or another. Um, and then going back into the history a bit, I did read the lives of the great, to me, great Protestant reformers and the Puritans that I admired, Luther, Calvin, John Wesley, George Whitfield, John Owen, Jonathan Edwards, and so many others. And it, it was about the same with them too. When you read about their worship service, it's about the same got some songs or a song, a hymn, got prayer. And then you have central to everything, you know, is that you've got your pulpit central and reading the passage and preaching a long sermon. Now, I started out doing 45 minutes when I first began preaching, but then I began to have more mercy on the people that I saw (laughs) sitting in front of me. And And I brought it down to, I attempted to preach 30 minutes every Sunday for, the years, uh, you know, six or seven, eight years before I resigned my ministry to become Catholic. But but what I had never done during this entire time, though, what I had never done was ask myself the, que- the question, what does a worship service look like in the post-apostolic period? Again, in the second century, the third, and the fourth. I didn't ask that.
1: Well, and... We also didn't ask how that might help us understand references to worship that were in the New Testament itself, right? Uh, because there are references in the New Testament. You know, you mentioned all mm-hmm. those people and how the they seem to understand worship, and you mentioned Wesley in the mix of that. You know, I had the same kind of experiences with you all. I mean, our services were a couple songs, a sermon, a couple more songs, call to action, right? Uh but I remember a couple times in uh late high school and early college where I was at places where we did John Wesley's communion service, and I thought, what is this? This isn't like anything else we're doing. Mm-hmm. Like, where is he getting this from? Like this thing that John Wesley invented from scratch out of his head and out of his heart is just incredible. Of course, I didn't realize that Wesley's drawing from something beyond himself yeah. uh in the tradition to to come up with this. But uh let's talk about what he is drawing from and what uh even some of those early reformers were drawing from when they were, you know, thinking about what it means to worship God. How is the mass, um, which a lot of these reformers went to for early parts of their lives, different from mm-hmm. what you all were leading as Protestant pastors? Uh, and what is kind of like the, mm-hmm. the, the sort of self-contained, I guess, internal logic of that?
2: Well, Matt, I I like the language of internal logic. There there is an internal logic to the mass, a sense in which the mass makes sense of things. It makes sense itself as you Mm -hmm. move through it. And maybe we can, as an outline for the rest of the episode here, we can come at that question in three big ways. First, looking at a few definitions, and we'll probably use some vocabulary in all of the um, episodes, but I think vocabulary is really helpful. We've been on a journey of learning new words, and so learning some words could be really helpful. Then we'll give a 30,000-foot view summary of what happens in the mass very quickly, uh, run through that, and then we'll end by taking a step back in time and looking at an early Christian worship service, mm-hmm. which we can do. So, if I can, guys, I wanna I wanna propose that we look at four words for the next couple of minutes. Four words that so we can speak Catholic. We're gonna we're gonna learn some Catholic here <laughs> and uh, some Catholic vocabulary. And so, the four words I wanna look at uh, for a minute are Mass, liturgy, rite, and or ritual. Mass, liturgy, rite, or ritual, and sacrament. Okay. So, the first word and we've said it already a few times, is the word mass. And what we don't mean by this is a large group of people, like a mass of people. (laughs) Are you going to go to the big mass of people? That's not what's meant by the word mass, large crowd. No, the word mass comes from a Latin word, actually, the word missa, which is transliterated into English, mission, or to be sent. So there is a missionary connotation in the word Mass, this idea of being Mm -hmm. sent. So in a lot of Masses, the deacon will end or the priest will end by saying in Latin, ite missa est, which, or est, which literally means go, it is sent or it is sent. And so it became the Mass in around the sixth century because of that, the way that it ended. Mm -hmm. The entire liturgy Mm -hmm. began to be seen as at the end of the day, a missionary calling, missionary forming, missionary finally sending event in which the people of God, their lives reordered to the purposes of God in the celebration of a liturgy, were finally ultimately sent back out into the world to continue the mission of God in their everyday lives. So that's
1: what mass means. If I could just add something in there. Uh, there's a little remnant of this that probably existed in the services that I attended, and that you and Kenny absolutely and can uh, both pastored at, and that is, what's the final thing that you do? It's the benediction. What's the thing after that? Absolutely dismissal, right? And That's even built go. into Protestant services. Go to your mission,
2: yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the churches where I was an associate associate Mm. pastor, we had a sign in the parking lot uh, that faced the traffic leaving the parking lot that said, you are now entering your mission field. As you leave the parking Mm. lot, you are now entering your mission field. Well, that's what mass means. Mass means the people Mm. of God are Mm. formed as missionaries and sent into the world. Okay, the second word, liturgy the mass happens as a liturgy um this this word liturgy comes from two words thrown together late ergas now you if you're an english speaker you've heard the word laity well that word is in there laity is the first part of the word liturgy and then the second part is ergas you heard the word ergonomics ergonomics how something works and so liturgy literally is the work of the people of God or the people's work that they gather to do together. This would be set in contrast then with private devotion. So inside of the word liturgy is the idea that God's people have a duty to perform something. The duty Mm. is to God, to each other, and to the world. Their duty is to offer God Write praise to be shaped as God's people by God, and then their duty is to go out like that into the world. And so among the whole gathered people of God who approach God the way that God desires and interact with Him as His people, this is the idea of liturgy. So, in that sense, you know, as as Bishop Robert Robert Barron says it, the mass is a great call and response between Christ the head and his mystical body, the church. And also, I want to say this, because it's liturgy, later gas, the people of God doing their work, it is also not solely the domain of the ordained priests in which people generally just sit silent and watch Father up in front do his thing with Jesus, Mm -hmm. but rather the whole priestly people of God gather together with those who are ordained to the ministerial priesthood, and together in Mm -hmm. prayer, each does their part in worship to God and in service Mm -hmm. to the world. That's what liturgy means. Now, so the Mass then, building these words together, the Mass is a liturgy. The sending event is the work of the people. The third word then connects to this, Mm -hmm. which is done through ritual or through a right Now, of all the words we're looking at today, guys, ritual mm-hmm. was the dirty word in our language as Pentecostals and Charismatics. I mean, if you said something was a ritual, you were essentially telegraphing that you're talking about some dead religious thing. But that is actually <laughs> yeah. not what a ritual is, properly speaking. Um uh, Maybe a word that can be helpful would be uh, the word part or the words or the phrase participatory drama as a way of understanding exactly what a ritual is or a rite is from inside of the Catholic mind. Uh, so so therefore it's not something that you go passively watch. Um, you don't go sit in the back row and watch a Catholic liturgy or ritual. You can't because the whole thing is structured uh, in a participatory way. And so the rite or the rites or the rituals are dramatic participations Mm -hmm. in joining and also telling a story in which God is acting. Think of it like as a drama. God is acting and the people are acting together, telling a story together. Now, the foundation of this, right, guys, is the Passover. The Passover in the Old Testament is a ritual meal, a dramatic retelling of the story of Israel's deliverance from bondage to Egypt. They would retell this story over and over, and it had to be a certain way. It had to be done a certain way because it was a certain story that was being told, And so God and His people, um, when they retell the story, they make present to the those celebrating the real Mm. event in history to them in that moment. Uh, Everything that happened back then is now happening again in our lives, and such a thing, guys, is not possible without ritual. Something like doing things in a particular way, using Mm. the right lines. Right, if you're going to do a drama. You you have to use the right lines. You have to have the right staging, the right blocking, the right dialogue and so forth so that you can prepare for the next scene and the next chapter, the highs and the low points, the the consummation of the story itself. Mm -hmm. So, Because we're always telling a story in the Mass. We're always telling the same story in the Mass, the story of God's saving work in the world. And more than that, by participating in the Mass, we're joining that story Of ourselves with God. There's always an order, there's always a movement in the mass, there's always a rite, R-I-T-E, that must be done right, R-I-G-H-T, in a particular way to tell the story. So that's what a Mm rite is. And and then fourth, this Mm -hmm. this um, missionary sending event that happens in the liturgy through rites. Is possible because of the fourth word, sacraments. Sacraments. Uh, this is a Latin word, sacramentum, sacred oath. Um, but how is that understood in context with the mass? This is uh, this is a quote from the Catholic Encyclopedia that I just want to read for this section discussing sacraments, and it quotes from the Council of the, the um, Catechism of the Council of Trent. It says this quote. A sacrament is something perceptible by the senses, which by divine institution has the power both to signify and to effect uh, sanctity and justice. Catholic catechisms in English usually have the following, An outward sign of inward grace, a sacred and mysterious sign or ceremony ordained by Christ, by which grace is conveyed to our souls. Well, what does that mean, Well, it, in my own language, I would say it this way. A sacrament is something visible. And this is what you see at Mass. It's something visible that conveys the grace that comes from something invisible into your soul. Or even more simply, the sacraments, guys, are where heaven and earth come together. So that, those four words, Mass, liturgy, right, sacrament. Those are the handles by which we can grasp what's happening
1: at the Mass. Mm -hmm. Anything you wanted to add, Ken? I have uh, just a couple of very quick thoughts, but what do you have to say?
0: Well, I was going to say everything Kenny just said, and I was going to say it maybe even a little bit better, but he's done it so well. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, I'm joking. Very good, very thorough. And the the one thought that popped up is when you were talking about it being being made present, the 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 dramatic story of the gospel being made present, and you mentioned the Passover. Yes. My understanding is is that when the Passover memorial was uh, took place was celebrated every year, and the uh, one of the children, you know, the son would say, "Dad, you know, why is it that we do this? Why, are, you know, something like that, right? Why are we doing this?" That the father, even if he lived a thousand years after Moses or fifteen hundred years after Moses, yes. he would say, "Because we were slaves." Right in egypt yes yeah anyway that popped into my mind as a beautiful illustration of that but no uh that was really good thank you
1: yeah the, the two quick thoughts i had was you mentioned the liturgy as the work of the people and not just of the priest um you'll find an older mm-hmm. language in catechetical documents and uh, you know sometimes people still use this language today <laughs> that when you're going to mass you're assisting at mass right even and some people will be like you, what you mean like you're, you're an altar server, you're a lector? No, you're assisting the priest with your prayers, right? So that language of right. assisting at mass is, is actually um, longstanding language in the church for what it means to attend worship. The second thing is, is in regard to that dead ritual, uh, it's like a whole bunch of other things. We're fine with it everywhere except religion, right? I live, <laughs> I live uh, in the D.C. area, and across the—well, halfway between you and me, Kenny, is the— cemetery, Arlington National Cemetery, and they have the tomb of the unknown soldier yep. and they have the changing of the guard and every time that happens mm-hmm. people gather from all over the country sometimes um of every kind of faith and no faith at all to watch this deeply choreographed very specific very precise ritual of the changing of the guard with solemnity and silence. Now, I'm sure there are people who are watching who don't understand what's happening. I'm sure that there are soldiers who are taking their post there. Who aren't necessarily feeling amazing that day or fully entered into it? So, should we just cancel the changing of the guard at the tomb of the unknown soldier because it's dead ritual? Or are we doing something yeah. that like transcends even the people involved by carrying yep. that forth? Uh so I mean, I think that's 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 part of the way to sort of understand uh, some of this. Um, this background. It's lingo. only dead
0: if you're dead. Right. It's only dead if you're dead. Yeah. Really. It's. I mean.
1: Just because you don't enjoy it doesn't mean it's not good, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Or understand it. And I think you know. And uh, what you can be sure of, Matt and Ken, is that the guys who go out and stand uh, guard at the tomb of the unknown soldier aren't meeting, you know, in in some room somewhere, going, "Well, so hey guys, what do you think we ought to do out of jazz this up this week to remember?" No, no, no. They are told what to do, and they must do it a mm-hmm. particular way because they're telling a story, a story that's bigger than them that they now enter well, into and that the next generation yeah. enters into as well. Now,
0: oh, one more thing quickly, because you got me going with this Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. It, it reminds me of the mass because you could have mm-hmm. a kid there who's just bouncing around and wiggling. And can we leave? Can we leave dad, mom? Let's get out of here. And then you could have a soldier maybe who has experienced this crying. You know, it, it it depends on what what you bring to it. Ritual is like that. There Ritual can be so deep in meaning yes. it depends on what you bring to it. But go ahead, Kenny.
1: Yeah, well yeah, let's no, I want to I, stall you out. It's true. Yeah, um Let's let's go ahead and move then to to the mass itself, and this is where we're going to go through super fast this time, but we're going to dig in deep Mm -hmm. in future episodes. But what's the Mm thirty thousand foot view of what actually happens at mass? Because a person who walks in with a Protestant background, like any of the three of us did walking into mass, is like, what? I don't. I have no idea what this is. (laughs) This is not what I'm used to. What is going on? What's the structure (laughs) of this thing?
2: You. The -hmm. way I. In a funny way, I talk to people. It's like going to a square dance for the first time and not knowing the moves. And you feel like you're all clunky and you're all, you're offbeat. You know, that's how I felt when I first started going to mass until I mm-hmm. said, well, I'm going to learn this dance. I'm going to learn my lines, right? If it's a drama, mm-hmm. I'm going to learn my part on the stage, the blocking assigned to me. And then I start to understand. So, okay. So what's happening and how is it happening? That's how we can work through the mass very quickly. Well, what's happening, guys? Is we are representing the entire drama of salvation history together, and most especially we are uh, experiencing the representation of the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus on Calvary, which through sacramental action, remember heaven and earth coming together uh and through the joining together of things on earth with things on heaven. That sacrifice, that once for all sacrifice is made truly present to the church gathered in every place wherever Mass is celebrated. Think of it, you know, just as the, as the, the earth turning around the sun Mm -hmm. every hour. There's a mass happening on planet earth for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. This has been going on. So, so we are, we are representing the story of salvation in the Mass. And secondly, we are mirroring, or better yet, joining the world of time, space, and matter to the world of heavenly worship that never ceases to be taking place around the throne of God. Our our parish is being caught up into the heavenly worship that's happening around the throne of God when we celebrate Mass. Okay, well, how? How is that happening? Well, it's happening Through the liturgical, ritual, sacramental rhythm of the Mass, the, this event. And it happens in four pieces. Uh, You could think of the four pieces like this. A little piece and a big piece, a big piece and a little piece. (laughs) This is uh, the two big pieces in the middle are the main body of the Mass. And then there's two bookends on the side. And so you have the little piece, introductory rites, then the liturgy of the word, then another big piece, the liturgy of the Eucharist, and then another little piece, the concluding rites. And these are all part of the mass, beginning with the introductory rites. Gathering itself is part of the introductory rite. Mm. We all come together. And then there's a procession once we're all gathered, a procession that ends at the front of the church. And then there is a Trinitarian invocation in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We're now in the Trinity when Mass begins. Um, and then there is this, as soon as that happens, when we're in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, there's a corporate penitential prayer. We have sinned. Then after forgiveness is pronounced and sought from God, we sing a song, the glory, glory to God in the highest, who's forgiven us of our sins. And finally, we are collected together into the people of God through a prayer called, guess what? A collect or a collect prayer. We're gathered into that prayer, which we'll unpack together. Well, as soon as all that happens, we sit down and we then spend a good long time in what's called the Liturgy of the Word. These are readings of Scripture from the Old Testament. Because remember, we're telling a story. What's the story? Story of salvation history. So we read of the mighty deeds of God in the Old Testament. We sing antiphonally together through the Psalms. Then we read of the life of the church in one of the epistles. And finally, we all stand together as the gospel is read and Jesus speaks to us off the pages of the gospel. These are all the readings that take place in the Mass. And then following that is a prophetic message to the gathered people through a homily or through preaching. Hey, church, here's what God is saying to us through this word we just read. And then finally, we all stand up and we say, I believe, we say the creed. I believe, and we say the, mm-hmm. um, the the Nicene Creed. In other words, we associate ourselves to the story. We say, I buy into this. I believe it. And finally, we pray together as the gathered people of God. Now, at this point, once we get here, the Mass is halfway over. We've, we're halfway through the representation of the story of God's saving action in history. Mm-hmm. Just pause right there.
1: Yeah, I would just say that this is important to understand that that's what's happening, because the first time I went to one of these, and somebody gets up for the preaching, and I'm settled in, okay, we'll see what this guy's got to say for the next half hour, 45 minutes, and he goes about eight. <laughs> and I'm like, these church services are only a half hour long, and then I realize, oh, we're only halfway done, right? Because in my world, it was only yeah. the liturgy of the word,
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> Right. Okay. Uh, so. well think
0: of
2: mm, go ahead, Ken. Go ahead.
0: Yeah. No, you go ahead. You're you're commenting on what Matt has said. So go ahead.
2: Well, yeah, I was thinking of <laughs> what you just said about how the pulpit is central in our Protestant evangelical um worship mm-hmm. sensitivities. And yet it's not. Preaching is not the central idea, uh the central idea of the mass. Uh it's it's a major part of it, but what's at the center of our worship space mm-hmm. is a table. A table which we'll mm-hmm. get to in a minute. So yeah, I'm I'm with you okay. Matt. I was looking for more preaching too.
0: <laughs> I just want to say a couple of things that um I love all these elements but, but I'm I'm remembering how how they struck me early on when they were new to me, when they were fresh. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you know, ritual can be again, back to the tomb of the unknown soldier, ritual can be dead if your heart is not there and ritual can be filled with life if your heart is there. And I think about how meaningful it was to me at the beginning, and I still feel it, the gathering, to come together and to have the holy water there, to touch the holy water, first of all, yes. and cross myself in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, recalling my baptism where I died with Christ and was, re, was raised to newness of life, and then how meaningful it is to me, the procession, where Jesus leads the way, uh, you know, yes. uh, Christ Amen. on the cross, a big crucifix, leading the way. And I still look up at that crucifix coming by every time. And I, I bow my head a little bit and I cross myself. So, I mean, these Amen. these are these are powerfully moving symbols if you take the time to think about it. And they, the, the priest and the others per, process up to the front. And then j- just one more thing, I think. I mean, th- there are so many. Oh, wow. No, two more things. Then the, <laughs> the penitential prayer The the penitential prayer to begin together by everybody saying, I confess to Almighty God that I've sinned, blah, blah, blah. And I ask, I I ask Mary, ever virgin, I ask all the saints and angels in heaven. I ask you, my brothers and sisters, I ask the entire world to pray for me to the Lord our God. And then just one more, being shocked, because I always thought Catholics don't care about the Bible, they don't have the Bible, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, the Bible's not prominent. And then to realize that more of the Bible is read in a Catholic Mass than I oh, ever yes. read. Because I, oh, I was lo- like, like you, Kenny, I was always preaching expositorily. So if I was preaching through Galatians, right. I would read the little passage I was going to preach on. And then I would spend my time on that. But a reading from the Old Testament, a reading from the Psalms that we sing together or per- hear sung, yes. a reading from the epistles, a reading from the gospel, the Bible is central yeah, even if the homily is only sure eight is. minutes long.
2: Yeah, and it's and and I think it's because the pastor's sermon was so central to our sense of what worship is that this is a little disorienting. But once we can reorient ourselves to the bigger idea mm-hmm. that we together, as the people of God gathered, are with God acting mm-hmm. in our midst are retelling a big story. Well, then mm-hmm. what a, what a priest or, or pastor says in the middle of it is just one part of the big story. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and so mm-hmm. we don't have to make so much of preaching. And by the way, it's impossible to go to a Catholic mass and just sit there like it would be the weirdest thing in the world to not participate why because this is a gathered dramatic retelling of a story in which we are all invited to participate you're right ken so much of uh the scripture is is used in the mass and and uh we're we're going to unpack how that works in, in a couple more episodes, but the second part of the Mass, right? So we, we've all said the Creed, and we've done the prayers, and then we sit down. And a transition happens in the second part of the Mass. It's the liturgy of the Eucharist, which usually begins by receiving <laughs> offerings. Receiving offerings, both the offerings of alms and finances, and also the offerings that will be brought to the altar to be used for communion. We're going to celebrate the liturgy of the Eucharist, which is the communion with Jesus and his church. It is joining in the liturgy of the Eucharist is the joining together of the head with the body. It is the coming down of Christ into the gathered assembly, and it is the drawing up of the gathered assembly into the heavenly places. And that happens primarily through a series of prayers and responses think of it as a conversation between a bridegroom and bride having a nuptial conversation together it happens through the canon of the mass through and these are all terms that we'll unpack in the future but the epiclesis which is the where the priest holds his hands over the elements of uh, of bread and wine and they become through consecration the body and blood soul and divinity of christ Anamnesis, which is a way of saying we then remember, or Christ is remembered among us, actually remembered. <laughs> and then there's a doxology, a great uh, a, a song of praise. The communion rite itself is celebrated, and then something really interesting happens in the Catholic Mass called the rite of peace. Um my peace I leave with you, etc. is said, and then let us offer one another the sign of peace. Well, at the Catholic masses, this is not supposed to be say hi to your neighbor time, but this is an announcement of what has happened to us because of what Jesus has done on the cross: Peace, be with you, peace with God, and with one another, be with you, and we say, And with your spirit so there 's this peace that that comes among god 's people. then the fraction you 'll see the the priest now breaking the elements uh, of uh the, breaking the Eucharist, the body of Christ into small pieces, and then we go forward, we move from where we are to communion together. We receive Jesus into ourselves and and then that 's the, the the Eucharistic celebration, and we go back to our place. And we kneel and we pray. And then once that's all done, the the Eucharistic celebration has concluded. And then a final part of the Mass happens, the concluding rites, in which there's a final prayer where we're asking God to do something with what has just been done in our lives. A final blessing of us, right? Because we're going to go out into the world. And that's exactly what happens. A Mm -hmm. deacon will typically say— go forth, the Mass has ended, go forth glorifying God with your lives, ite misa est, or something like this, and all the people say, thanks be to God, and then what? We leave. Why? Because we're the missionaries now. We've been reformed into the body of Christ, fed with the body of Christ, taught as the body of Christ, and sent out into the world as the body of Christ.
1: There's a lot going on there. It's, I have to be careful about what I say here because first of all, I don't want to spoil the next 500 episodes of, or however long you Pentecostal, former Pentecostal man (laughs) intend to go on about the intricacies of this. Uh, But also because I don't want to go on for two more hours, but I just want to key in on one little thing. Like, it's amazing to me once I started to realize what was happening in the mass, like how many things are, like, it's basically all of Christianity packed into like, Yes. Even in a daily mass, all of Christianity packed into yes. like 20 minutes sometimes. It's it's wild. But even some yes, stuff that you go back and look and you're like, well, this is a an interesting teaching of Jesus, but I don't know where it fits. Like I should just probably, you know, be nicer to my neighbors or whatever. But there's a there's a passage Jesus in in, in Matthew 5:24. Um well, we'll back it up to 5:23 where he says if you're offering your gift at the altar and you remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift at the altar. Go and be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Where is the sign of peace situated in the mass? I mean, it's right before we all go up to the altar to receive yes, communion. It it's like is. all these mm-hmm. things that mm-hmm. were kind of like disconnected teachings, you know, in the body of work mm-hmm. and the thought mm-hmm. of Christ, suddenly become like really mm-hmm. like fleshed out things in Christian worship in the mass. It's like wild. So um, yes. Any thoughts from you? That's Ken why we're going to unpack of, it. That's <laughs> to 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 really what I think is going to be the 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 biggest kind of oh, mic drop moment in this episode. But any thoughts before we get to that?
0: What you said about the sign of peace—that is people saying to one another, "Peace be with you"—being right before communion and how that fits in with Matthew five. Yeah, that's very good too. Oh, so, okay. So, mm-hmm. um, I'm going to read something here, but but um. But I want to say first Kenny thank thanks for that 30,000 foot overview of what we have in the mass and one of the key words at the beginning was sacrament and of course the central sacrament is the Eucharist where yes. heaven and earth come together where bread and wine become the body and blood of Christ that we then receive in communion everything builds to that and that's the heart of this drama yes. that you've described and so the question comes up naturally, you know, how can we find out if this is anything like early Christian worship? Because again, my right. view early on was that this was all just added, you know, just crazy stuff added. Um, like I said, barnacles on a ship. How can we find out? I mean, uh, imagine if we could take a time machine and we could fly back to the second century, let's say, and we land there and we go up to the window, and we, we can peek through the window and actually watch a second century Christian worship service. What would it look like? Well, we can't do that. I don't have a time machine. I I don't know if you guys do, but I don't. And, but, but what we do, but we do have though is that is we have a document. We have a document. In fact, we have a number of documents, but we have a document that could serve as a kind of video recording, if you will, a literary video recording of an early church service from the year 150 AD, which is very early. I mean, it's early enough that the person writing this lived during the time was born and was a young man, at least during the time when the disciples of the original apostles, apostles would have been alive. So 150 AD, and we do have a document like that. And so I want to just read it. This is from the first apology of St. Justin Martyr. (coughs) who lived 100 to 165 AD. And in this book that he wrote called The First Apology, what we have is a fairly detailed description, in fact, several descriptions of exactly how the earliest Christians were worshiping together. And we're going to be coming back to all of this in the episodes ahead, but I just want to kind of just drop this in. Um, It's rather long, but I ask you to please just listen and take it in Yes. And, and just see if this does not fit basically the story that you've been telling, Kenny, uh, here today. Um, this is from chapters 65, 66, and 67. And I'm basically just reading them straight through. He sort of repeats himself a couple of times, but that's fine. I want you to hear the whole thing. Okay, here's Justin Martyr, and he's, he's called the Martyr because he was martyred. One of the first Christian martyrs and the first great Catholic apologist, Christian apologist reading from this first Apology, from chapter 65. But we, after we have thus washed him, he's referring to someone being baptized, who has been convinced and has asserted, has assented to our teaching. We bring him to the place where those who are called brethren are assembled in order that we may offer hearty prayers in common for ourselves and for the baptized, the illuminated person, and for all others in every place that we may be counted worthy Now that we have learned the truth, by our works also to be found good citizens and keepers of the commandments, so that we may be saved with an everlasting salvation. Having ended the prayers, we salute one another with a kiss. There is then brought to the president of the brethren, bread, the leader of the the gathering, bread and a cup of wine mixed with water. And he taking them gives praise and glory to the Father of the universe through the name of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, and he offers thanks at considerable length for our being counted worthy to receive these things at his hands. And when he has concluded the prayers and thanksgivings, all the people present express their assent by saying, Amen. This word, Amen, answers, to the Hebrew la- answers in the Hebrew language to the Greek word, Genoita, which means so be it, or may it be. And when the president has given thanks and all the people have expressed their assent, those who are called by us deacons give to each of those present to partake of the bread and wine mixed with water over which the thanksgiving has been pronounced. And to those who are absent, they carry away a portion. And now to chapter 66. And this food is called among us Eucharistia, the Eucharist of which no one is allowed to partake but the man who believes that the things which we teach are true and who has been washed with the washing that is for the remission of sins and unto regeneration and who is so living as Christ has enjoined for not as common bread and common drink do we receive these, but in like manner as Jesus Christ, our savior, having been made flesh by the word of God, had both flesh and blood for our salvation. So likewise have we been taught that the food, which is blessed by the prayers of his word and from which our blood and flesh by transmutation is nourished, is the flesh and blood of that Jesus who was made flesh. For the apostles in the memoirs composed by them, which are called gospels, have thus delivered unto us what was enjoined upon them, that Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, said, This do ye in remembrance of me, this is my body. And that after the same manner, having taken the cup and given thanks, he said, This is my blood and gave it to them alone, which the wicked devils have imitated in the mysteries of Mithras, commanding the same thing to be done for that bread and a cup of water are placed with certain incantations in the mystic rites of one who is being initiated. You either know this or you can learn it. Then finally, one more reading from chapter 67. And he afterwards continually, and we afterwards continually remind each other of these things. And the wealthy among us help the needy, and we always keep together, and for all things wherewith we are supplied. We bless the Maker of all through His Son, Jesus Christ, and through the Holy Ghost. And on the day called Sunday, all who live in cities or in the country gather together in one place. The memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read as long as time permits, then when the reader has ceased, the president verbally instructs and exhorts to the imitation of these good things. Then we all rise together and pray. And as we said before, when our prayer is ended, the bread and wine and water brought are, are brought and the president is like in like manner offers prayers and thanksgiving according to his ability and the people assent saying amen. And there is a distribution to each and a participation of that over which thanks has been given. And to those who are absent, a portion is sent by the deacons. And they who are well to do and willing, give what each thinks fit. And what is collected is deposited with the president, who suckers, those, suckers the orphans and widows, and those who through sickness or any other cause are in want, and those who are in bonds, and the strangers sojourning among us, and in a word takes care of all who are in need. But Sunday is the day on which we all hold our common assembly, because it is the first day on which God, having wrought a change in the darkness and matter, made the world. And Jesus Christ, our Savior, on that same day rose from the dead, for he was crucified on the day before that of Saturn, Saturday, and on the day after that of Saturn, which is the day of the sun, having appeared to his apostles and disciples, he taught them these things which we have submitted to you also for your consideration. He comes at it from a couple of different angles in these different chapters, but basically it's what you described, Kenny.
2: It is. You know, as I hear you read that, Ken and and, and Matt, you know, as we re- reflect on everything we've covered today, I shared this with Ken this week. Always what I want to do in our discussions together on this show is I want, in a sense, to talk to my pre-Catholic self about my own journey. And that's kind of how I I want to end in my own contribution to this discussion we've had. Here's my final challenge to my pre-Catholic self that went to Mass looking for dead rituals, that believed many of the Catholics I was pastoring that there was nothing to the Mass, and that (coughs) what we were doing in our Gatherings was better my my challenge now is if I could go back and talk to pre Catholic Kenny would be this: Does what Ken just read from St Justin Martyr in in this document from the earliest days of the church? does that sound like what's happening in your gatherings? Does it sound like if I can say it this word way, you're doing church? the way the earliest Christians were doing it? Because you can find out. And if not, why not? And are you willing to think differently
1: about worship? It's a good challenge. And just to say uh, on top of that, that there are a lot of people who have impressions of what early worship was like, but in Justin, we have a description. And that's not the only description we have. It's maybe the most explicit and thorough description, but there are others. We see pieces of that in the Didache, right? Which is maybe the earliest Christian document, um, period. Maybe even earlier than some of Paul's letters. So uh, there's there's a lot to unpack, and I'm really looking forward to how we're going to get into a bunch of those things over the course of this mm-hmm. series, because the Mass is like... There's like... The Mass is like the world's largest onion, like with infinite layers. And so <laughs> I'm looking forward to, to that. In the meantime... If you are someone who's interested in viewing previous episodes of On the Journey, then definitely go to our website, chnetwork.org. If you want to get into our online community where Ken and Kenny and I are are in there and discussing things and answering uh, various questions and and walking with people, go to community.chnetwork.org. And again, if you want to uh, support our work and make us continue to be able to offer as much of this stuff as possible uh, at little to no cost to people who are interested in this kind of help on their journeys, then go to chnetwork.org/slash. Donate. I'm Matt Swaim. Ken Hensley, Kenny Bouchard. Thank you again. I'm excited for a brand new series, and yeah. uh, hopefully, we'll do it in uh, so 500 great. episodes or less.
0: <laughs>
2: great, thanks, we'll see guys. You later. What a joy to be with you.
1: All right, and thank you thank for you joining Kenny. us on this episode see of On the Journey with Matt and Ken and Kenny. We'll talk to you next time around.
0: Goodbye.